everybody. Welcome to the Make Better Photos and Videos podcast. I'm Ross. And I'm not. I'm Gordon. <laughs> okay, that's good. Because people like you best. Oh, yeah. We would not We would not be successful without you. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. So today, Gordon has decided that we are going to talk about... We're going to talk about high-key and low-key images. That's low-key, not low-key. It could be which, however you wish to make it. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. You're the boss. You make it what you want. <laughs> I'm I'm gapping on Loki's <laughs> famous statement, so we'll do low key. So fair enough. Uh, high key photography, low key photography. What does it all mean, Sherman? What are we going to do with it? How do we use it? How do we recognize it? What is this manipulated photography, Gordon? Well, I'm, I'm glad you're asking because uh, I never quite figured it out. So I figured today will be the day Excellent. of enlightenment. Enlightenment. Is enlightenment our word for this episode? It's one of them. It's one of them. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I guess I've heard you talk about it a bit. Mm -hmm. Maybe not as much as we should have at the camera club. Is that a hint? That's a hint. We've got a meeting this month. I guess I need to create some content, don't I? There you go. Oh, God. But, I knew uh, I did this for a reason. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, we sort of know what it is, and I have taken some mostly high-key images, and I think I've taken one, maybe two low-key images, and if I have, they were by accident. Okay. So, so. when we talk about this technique, it is absolute exposure manipulation. But how do you recognize high key if it is measured in the context of exposure? What are we looking for, typically? Um, the way I've started to recognize it is that a low key, sorry, a high key image all the tones or the luminosity or lightness in the image will fall essentially above a zone 5 if you're using the zone scale system. Okay, but even for people who aren't, what you're saying is that the darkest part of the image is going to be no darker than middle gray. Yes. Okay. I think that's actually a great definition. It's easy to understand. There's do, no black. I, I do easy. We won't get into that. <laughs> that's a different podcast that you can do on your own. <laughs> to your own audience. Yes, so it, yeah. Um, everything is, is lighter. Very few darks. Practically no blacks. And what I found interesting in my reading 
is that I was getting the terminology for contrast and high key confused. That's not an uncommon thing. In fact, people appear to assume that high key means high contrast. That is what I was assuming. And I am now finding out that that is, in fact, not true at all. Okay. So, so by corollary, then, if we talk about low key, if high key is zone five and above, where's low key? Zone five and below. Okay. And so if the assumption was that high key was high contrast, was there a similar assumption that low key meant low contrast? I believe so. Okay. And that too is erroneous. Second word, there'd be a prize if you can remember them all, except we don't have prizes. Well, yeah. so be it. <laughs> Nobody's calling us up to give us money or free stuff. <laughs> I don't understand. Anyway, okay. So I think that's actually very simple to understand without getting into a bunch of technology and a bunch of verbiage. That's crystal Ooh, clear. Three. There's three. <laughs> so if we think about this in terms of lighting, that means that I think you're saying we are compressing the available dynamic range. One way or the other, yes. No matter whether you choose high key or low key. Yes. You're not using the full 11 stops in the zone system. Correct. You're using a smaller subset of them. Yes. So the way to do that, you've got to be the boss of the light. Yes. Like, can you call, hello, son, can I have high key light, please? Well, you can't, but you can go looking for it. Okay. And if you see it, utilize it to your advantage. Is it common to be able to find it in, you know, I love this word, natural light. It's <laughs> all light is natural. Uh, it's, it's generally not. And if it's, well, I shouldn't say it's not. It's there. But I think we don't recognize it for what it is. Or we're not sufficiently selective in our composition to, to leverage it. Yes. Which means if we're going for high key, we have to exclude subjects that are going to be dark. Yep. Or the corollary. Going the other way. Go the other way for the other thing. So let's just reiterate. High key, the luminosity values are going to be probably from middle gray to white. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't necessarily imply high contrast. Correct. Low key, the tones are going to be from black up to middle gray. Yep. And that doesn't necessarily imply low contrast. Nope. All we're talking about is constrained dynamic range and a tighter or more limited use of tonal values. Yes. Okay. So why, why would someone choose to shoot, let's use high key. What are the values or the characteristics therein? Well, I, I think the uh, you, if you choose to go that route, you're trying to achieve a certain look. 
And since generally in our upbringing, literature, everything else, uh, we think in terms of uh, light things as being happy, airy, uplifting. And if we are trying to achieve that effect, then one would consider using uh, a high-key image or developing a high-key image to produce that effect. Okay, that makes sense. So if I'm, if I'm doing that, I'm looking for something that's going to have minimal dark shadows and blacks. Mm -hmm. But does that mean that everything has to be overexposed? No, not everything should not be overexposed. The subject that you're aiming for should be adequately exposed. Or to follow up on your previous podcast, it may be shifted to the right a bit. Okay. But not necessarily overexposed. And the subject certainly should not be blown out right. with okay. loss of detail. Okay, but what you're saying by shifting to the right, that means if we're to use a tool like a Lightroom or something like it that offers us a histogram, right? we would see it biased toward the right-hand side. Correct. Doesn't mean the left side's empty. No. But it's, it's certainly not equivalent. Yep. Okay. Most of the tones of the image are going to fall above middle gray, and because the number of tones is reduced, we actually reduce contrast, don't we? Yes. Okay. I like what you said about the emotional response. Mm -hmm. Because if we think of language, and I think you touched on this, if we go to our friend Mr. Harry Potter. Oh, yes. Voldemort was never referred to as the light guy. <laughs> no, and neither was Batman. No. <laughs> or if we visit Mr. Tolkien. Oh, God. Gandalf the Grey becomes Gandalf the White mm -hmm. when he gets more good. Yep. <laughs> so there is a, there's an underlying bias, cultural bias, and psychological bias that says, if I see something that's light, it's on the good side. Mm -hmm. Whereas if we see something on the dark, we see something as... Scary, threatening, Scary, dramatic. threatening, potentially evil. Potentially evil. And we all know the dark side of the force, mm -hmm. the dark lord, mm -hmm. the dark knight. Mm -hmm. We don't have any light people. Except in Monty Python, where it doesn't count. <laughs> yes, but Monty Python is in the liminal, that place <laughs> where the normal rules do not apply. Okay, drop that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have to stop that, because otherwise we're going to start... Bashing coconuts together and saying it's just a flesh wound. Okay, I think I get it. So where am I going to... So I figure out where I want to use a high-key image. Because of the story I'm trying to tell. Mm -hmm. The message I'm trying to convey. How do I go about achieving a high-key image? Well, it's feasible that you could achieve it using natural light. If 
you were in the right circumstances. Mm-hmm. If you, um, uh, the, the high key images I've done, I've usually taken walking along the trail. The, it's covered with fresh snow. There's grass sticking up. Uh, there's one grass piece with a curl on it. So you've got a minimalistic image. And there's the grass, which is kind of bright, and the right. snow, which is going to be very bright. Right. And so, so you're going to position yourself to avoid the shadows. Yes. To keep that high key. Yes. Is that right? But mostly, I think to achieve that, you have to control the light somehow. Okay. So as somebody who, like myself, for example, who is prone to always have a flash Mm -hmm. with me, I could be outside in that scenario. And where there are harsh shadows, I could use the flash to fill the shadow areas. Yes. And if I'm working in a studio where I control the light, and the studio can be your kitchen table. Yes. I, as the creative, am in control of the light. Mm-hmm. And I can control what is light or, or dark, depending on what I'm trying to achieve, through the use of reflectors or dark cards to take away light, direction, control, so, if I understand you correctly, your proposal is that to create this high-key image, I want the background to be very light, mm-hmm. maybe even white. Mm-hmm. I want to have a non-shadow creating light on my subject. Mm-hmm. So, something soft, is that fair? Sure. Large, soft source. And then I want to fill in any shadows created by that main light. Yep. And I may need even another light to illuminate the background if it's not light enough. Yeah, chances chances are I think you would require probably about three lights as a a minimum uh, to to get the effect you want in a studio. Okay, if I think about the high-key work that I learned to do many decades ago, that was the common thing multiple lights right. in a very controlled environment. Right. Um, and, and this was in the case of, you know, like eye makeup and cosmetics and models where you ne- we needed high key because that's what the client wanted right. to show off the jewelry or the clothing or the, yeah, I'm going to date myself, the lovely blue pastel of the eyeshadow. Ah, uh, Yes. Okay. <laughs> hey, man, I remember white lipstick. Yeah, I think I somebody. I think I saw it being defined as that, and and I may be wrong on this. That the your main light and your fill light should probably be of equal power or luminosity at the subject. At the subject. Yeah. They don't have to be the same lights. No, they don't have to be the same. They don't have to be the same distance. But your exposure reading. Yes. At the subject, taken with your, wait for it, go back to an article from two weeks ago, your handheld light meter. Yes. (laughs) They should be pretty close. Okay. Otherwise, you're not going to get that shadow fill. Right. Perhaps to the extent that you want. 
Okay. That doesn't mean no shadows. It means no dark shadows. Correct. So no vampires or whatever that show was. Right? Right. Speaking of vampires and dark shows, what are some of the characteristics of a low-key image? Low-key, not a low-key image. <laughs> we already mentioned that uh, the tones are largely below zone 5, from 0 to zone 5. Um, most of the image will be dark. But interestingly, the subject probably shouldn't be too dark. Too dark. Or might even be adequately exposed, just because that's what you're trying to bring out mm. and shut the distractions from, from the side down. Right. So, um, and one of the things that I saw of how you can achieve this is if you've got a band of light coming uh, through the drapes or through the skylight or whatever, and if you can get your subject illuminated with that light and get adequate exposure on the subject, you can then blacken everything else. Mm -hmm. But you would, how would you characterize the shadows that are created? Well, ideally, there shouldn't be any shadows. They should all be pretty much black. Okay. But otherwise, the shadows will be dark. You could use the shadows to emphasize the scariness of the image. Could have long shadows falling down the, down the street with the lights coming from the back. Mm -hmm. So you you could use the the shadows would be emphasized, and you would you would be using them as part of the composition of the image. Right, or you can use them to highlight textures, creating more contrast. Sure. Right. Sure. So the low key is actually tends to more contrast. Yes. The opposite of what people might think. Yes. Okay, I get that. So we're going to go, uh, is it safe to assume in the same context as it may be difficult to find low-key light in the natural world? I think it's more difficult. Okay. So then it becomes a constructed image. Yes. Okay. So what goes into that? Because um, I still have to light the subject. Yes, you have to light the subject. So you will need one light for that. You have to arrange the light so that there is none to very little spill from the subject onto the background. Okay. Background could be, well, could be the background or the surroundings. How, however one chooses to do that. So you want to see, if we think of this as a six-stop range, yeah. we want to see the background at least three stops, preferably four or five, having a luminous value less than the subject. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. So in a constructed world, we can do that in a variety of ways. We can put barn doors on the light. Mm -hmm. To constrain its path, we yep. could use a snoot. Yep. We could use grids. Grids. Mm -hmm. To focus our light. Um, strip light. 
strips. Absolutely. We could use flags yep. to prevent the light from spilling out. Yep. One of the tools that I've seen used, uh, and actually only one, although I haven't used it much, is a Fresnel lens okay. that goes on the front of your light. Right. And it's got a variable aperture. Okay. So by changing the aperture size, you control spill. Right. And you can focus the light. I know Lindsay Adler, in one of her training videos, she's a pro photo sponsored mm -hmm. artist. Mm -hmm. uh, she's using a tool from them called the Spotlight. Okay. Which goes on the front of the flash, and it's basically converts it from a wide, wide beam to a focusable beam. Okay. More than a snoot does. Are there other... But th so that gets us the main light. But yeah. what about the rest of the scene? Well, one of the, one of the things I, I saw was... Um, which I hadn't thought about that much, but it makes a lot of sense, is to change the direction of your light. Mm -hmm. So light coming from, well, I think they call it the short side or the short lighting. Yeah. Or basically coming from the direction the hair is spotted in. Yes. So, or, or side lighting. Because that throws all kinds of uh, shadows. Well, it, it illuminates the face, but it also does not illuminate the parts that you don't want to illuminate. Right. So, so if we think of this in the context of face, the maximum illumination we want in the face is typically no more than half. Yes. So you're creating a silhouette. Yep. But what short light is, for those who aren't familiar with the term, is we turn the face that is lit away from the camera. So it becomes yes. less mm -hmm. lit yep. from the camera's perspective. Yes. You may still expose for it properly, but because it's short lit, the side of the face facing the camera gets less light. Yes. And so you get that low key thing. Yep. Now, do you do anything to separate your subject? From your background, for example? Uh, yes. So if your subject is close to the background, there will be spill. Uh, so having a reasonable comprehension okay. of uh, the inverse square law will allow you to position this subject so that the light falls off very quickly behind the subject and does not illuminate anything other than the subject. Right. And you can trick the viewer as well by putting a limb or a rim light around the subject. Yes. To create that, to create greater separation. Because it, it, the eye will go to the light area and because the eye likes contrast, it makes the that back area even darker. Right. Okay. In fact, I, I think they, they mentioned that if you're shooting a portrait, uh, just having the face lit and dark hair that disappears into the background is uh, uncomfortable, perhaps. So using some form of a rim light is probably to your advantage in this situation. Well, certainly if you're doing a portrait, that isn't supposed to be the axe murderer coming out of the closet, you definitely do want to create separation. Otherwise, there is a a portent Ooh, whoa. <laughs> of 
impending disaster or impending evil. So you're removing the effects of, wait for it, cumulative light. Oh, dear. On your subject <laughs> through these, these tools. Now, one of the great ways to do this that's not very well taught these days is the use of black cards and flags. A yes. black reflector. And remember those pop-up reflectors that everybody was buying? Yep. You know, they've got white, they've got silver, they've got translucent. Gold. Gold. So no black. Make everybody look like they got jaundice. Silver and gold, so you can make everybody look like they've got liver disease. And they've also got a black reflector. And the concept of black reflector doesn't make sense. But the use of one is incredibly powerful because it becomes a light suck. Right. Nothing gets reflected from it. Yes. And so there are no reflections from the environment that are coming back. And that does create contrast. Right. It does reduce exposure. And interestingly, a lot of folks have one of those already. Right. They may just not use it. And alternatively, if you're really hard up, head over to the dollar store and get yourself some black foam core. Yeah, I, I, for a I heard you sheet. talk about that before, and I think I've used it. And you've prompted some challenges in the camera club where uh, you wanted a light reflector and then you wanted a light sink. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it changes the entire uh, mm, ambience Whoa. of the image. <laughs> Very good. I think we're at 10 today. Oh, God, we're ahead of the game now. We really are. So, summarize. To get to high key, we have actually reduced contrast. Mm -hmm. And we're going to light softly, broadly, and tend to blow out the background. Right. If we're going to shoot low-key, we're going to light narrowly. Yes. We're going to cut spill wherever we can. Yes. So there's only light where we want it, and we're going to make the backgrounds go as dark as possible. Yes. What a wonderful project. That sounds like. I see this coming. Here comes number two for the camera. Yeah, yeah. can you see the train coming? <laughs> I hear that train a-going. That's pretty cool. And actually, it's a whole lot simpler than a lot of folks would think it is. Because there's certainly I, I think people who try of, to make it complex. Yeah, they don't, they don't, we don't think of using it. We're accustomed to... Photographing what we see, we don't, we're not that accustomed to modifying what we see. So this is also a good seeing exercise. Mm -hmm. Can you look at something and see it in high key? Mm -hmm. Can you look at something and see it in low key? And then think about how you would construct that. Professional development. <laughs> Anything could happen. <laughs> so I mean I'm thrilled with how easy this is the way that you've defined it to convey to people because nobody said go out and spend a thousand bucks on gear people can probably do it with what they've got 
Yeah, I think so. I, uh, I mean, you can do Loki with a flashlight. I think, I think most of the people in the camera club probably have more than one flash. Yeah. I keep hearing them trying to buy stuff, but uh, so, yeah, so there's no reason why not. So what are we missing? We're not missing anything, but everybody else is losing out on something. So what you're suggesting is that this is a great opportunity for photographers to expand their skill set, expand their working portfolio of images, mm -hmm. and to be able to demonstrate development and eventual mastery right. of two very distinct styles and looks right. that, to your original points, tie back to an emotional response in the viewer. Right. Because what we want to create in the viewer is that emotional commotion. We want them to see something and go, oh, I feel sprightly and airy and unicorns everywhere. There are songs to that effect. Yes. <laughs> and and then the alternative is, this is bad <laughs> and it can only get worse. <laughs> I think that's awesome. And and uh, and from the, the point of view of, uh, of people doing it, even if you can't see it, just go and do something and see what comes out of it. Yeah, what's the worst thing that happened? It didn't cost you anything. It didn't cost you anything, and, you know, your, your flash gets a workout, and yeah. it feels better for it. And uh, Just take anything. Take a speaker, take your flowers, uh, sitting on your tabletop, underexposed, hit it with a flash, and say, ooh, I wonder what that is. And And that's actually a great idea, because to really create a an uncomfortably dynamic image. Take something, a subject, that is normally perceived on its own mm -hmm. as being happy and light, and shoot it low-key. Take Let's something see. that is often seen as dangerous, nasty, dark, and shoot it high-key. Right. <laughs> Does it change the nature? Yeah, um, yeah, I can see a couple of places where I might want to do that. So there we go. I got nothing else to add. I think this has yeah, been a I, great, I, I, great I, session. I think it covered it covered something that is badly covered everywhere else. Fair enough. On that positive note, we're going to get out of <laughs> here. Let's get out of here because it's not going to get better than that. For the Make Better Photos and Videos podcast, I've been Ross. And I'm Gordon. And we'll talk to you again real soon. But we don't know what about. Right. Hmm. We'll make it up as we go along. Same as always. <laughs>